Hi everybody, I hope you're having a great Wednesday and I'm having a great Wednesday. Of course, I always have a great Wednesday. <laughs> anyway, okay, um, enough of this silliness, but I wanted to, um, to start our series, um, God the Abuser. This is the second video in our series. Last week, um, sorry, my hair's in my face like it usually is. Anyway, uh, last week I shared some really, really personal stories. Um, I had a lot of feedback, which I really, really liked. Um, I, I'm just really thankful that God put this on my heart and that I'm at a place in my life where I can share those things and they can be of use to somebody else. After all, uh, they're absolutely pointless if they can't be used to teach me something or if they can't be used um, to teach somebody else something. Um, otherwise, I would just want them completely erased from history. Anyway, so this series is going to be a little more methodical, a little more technical than um, than maybe what you think it's going to be. And so this video, uh, we're going to discuss some really basic foundation things. And, um, and so let's get started. Okay, so God the Abuser, that's our subject. You guys forgive me, all my um, paperwork is right over here. Um, and last week I was telling you about some of the abuses that I suffered myself. Um, just so you know, Heath and I were talking about that and it was very, very personal. It was <laughs> really um, very abrupt, I think. But the reason I shared that is because you don't share things unless you have been through them and God has accomplished something through you. Um, already because if you get a revelation or you think you know something and you try to share it um, before you've mastered it before God has completed his work that he's doing with you on that um, before that now I don't mean complete mature I mean you went through this now you're through it it's over now you can talk about it that kind of a thing um, you only talk about those kinds of things once they're completed in your life and and it's not it doesn't bring up a bunch of residual pain it doesn't bring up a bunch of you know problems um, because if you don't if you share something that you're going through in order to teach someone else what happens is the devil uses that as an opportunity to attack you further okay um, so that you you don't gain any ground so so please understand that last week when I shared all those personal things I was doing that because I've been through them I was doing that number one because I've been through them number two so that you understand that I know exactly what abuse is I know exactly what abuse is not because I have personally experienced abuse um, and and that's the main reason I wanted to give myself some credibility and for the, and God credibility for what he's done in my life okay so that being said um, let's talk about um, what the World Health Organization actually says is abuse. Now, I am using a worldly definition of abuse, and the reason I am is because that is who fights us. It is this world system that influences Christians to believe what abuse is, and by and large, they believe that God is an abuser. What I mean by that is that most Christians that I know do not sequester themselves to such an extent that they don't watch television, that they don't um, watch movies, that they don't read the paper, that they don't listen to the radio, that they have absolutely no social media, they have no connection with the outside, but they're stuck there just praying and reading their Bible. I don't know if you guys know any Christians like that. I have spent time like that in my life, but by and large, um, I don't do that even though I'm a professional Christian um, and I don't know many Christians who do that so what happens then is that the world who is you know under the sway of Satan 
they dictate to us what we believe about certain things and we have got to be mindful of that and we've got to be aware of what God says as opposed to what the world says so that we can know exactly what we believe okay for this argument I'm going to talk about what the world says is is abusive because what the world says is abusive influences how we see God unless we know God personally and we know oh my dang battery and we know that he is not abusive okay so the World Health Organization um, states that there are four categories of abuse physical sexual emotional or psychological and neglect also qualifies as abuse okay so um then it says that modern psychology the same um, website that i got this from the world health organization says that the signs of the of an abuser or an abusive relationship are that um, it takes place behind closed doors that abusers deny their actions by typically blaming the victim violence is preceded by verbal abuse um, the actions damage the victim's self-esteem the abuser needs to be right and in control the abuser is possessive and may try to isolate um, the victim the abuser is hypersensitive hypersensitive and may react with rage they have a history of aggression they're cruel to animals or children and they blame their behavior on others now if you think about what I just said about those four types of abuse and all of those symptoms of an abusive relationship I promise you that either overtly or covertly everyone that you have ever met including probably yourself and myself has at, has at one time or another thought in their heart that God was guilty of some of this okay I read a Facebook post uh, very recently that a person was going through something and said oh you know just when everything is going great then God throws this and that at you and um, this and that was evidently a terrible thing they didn't say on Facebook and um, one of their family members went in and corrected them and said God didn't put this on you and so that's my point that's where we're getting but I want to dispel some of the things that people believe about God so that we can get um, so that I can get you to a place where you completely understand the heart of God okay now of course God wants to show you his heart on a very personal very intimate level and so this does not take exception this doesn't say okay well you can watch Wednesday's videos and then you don't have to get to know God on your own don't do that but I just want you to understand some things that's what I'm called to the body of Christ to do is to teach people who are in the body of Christ and to illuminate people who are outside the body of Christ okay so um, so we're gonna talk about two groups of people in this series one of those groups of people are um, unbelievers now I don't know about you but I've heard and I've talked to unbelievers and actually you know read stuff posts and this and that um, where people who don't believe in God or who say they don't believe in God they say how could a good God send people to hell how could a good God allow children to be abused how could a good God you know do this and that um, one of the one of my favorite preachers his name is Andrew Womack he talks about when he was 12 years old his dad died and um, he went to his church and they said oh your God God took your dad because he needed an angel in heaven and that is absolutely ludicrous God God angels and people are two different species and so they they told this poor little um, 
little boy that his dad was taken by God because he needed him. And so, you know, if, if Andrew Womack wouldn't have been careful, he could have let resentment build up in his heart. Thank God he didn't. But my point is, is that unbelievers or people who don't really know the, know the heart of God will say dumb stuff like that. And we're going to get to why they say that. I'm going to give you a teaser in a minute about that. But, um, the first group of people, like I said, that we're going to speak about are unbelievers who accuse God of everything. Why would such a good God take out all the Philistines? Why would God, such a good God um, wipe out the world with a flood? Why would such a good God turn away Adam and Eve from the garden? Why, if God is so loving, would he do all these things, right? Basically, what they're saying is they're saying God really isn't a loving God. He just wants to control everything. And then if you don't act right, then he's going to take you out. You better watch out because he's going to take you out. Now, um, that's because they don't understand the heart of God. They don't understand the law. They don't understand the scriptures. Their mind is blackened and their eyes are veiled to the truth and heart of God. So that's the first group of people that we're going to talk about. The second group of people we're going to talk about are believers. Of course, there's only two kinds of people in the world, believers in Christ and unbelievers in Christ. That's it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the Bible says there's neither male nor female nor um, Gentile nor Jew when you're a believer in Christ. So there's only believers or unbelievers, and that's it. So in the category of believers in Christ, there are two different kinds of people that we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about people who believe who have swallowed hook, line, and sinker. This concept of the sovereignty of God. Okay, we're going to talk about them. And then the second group of people in the believer category that we're going to talk about are people who don't really believe in the sovereignty of God, but they believe that you have to do or at least not do some things to get to get the blessing from God. Okay, and so... So that gets that is really um, where I was for a really long time, and in fact, most of the Word of Faith movement, the Charismatic movement, that's where most of us are. Um, is that we don't really believe in the sovereignty of we believe in God, we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, and but but we think or we're told that we have to do this and that to get this and that from God, and so. Just like I said last week, you know, an abuser will say, you have to do this. And if you don't, then I'm going to do this and that. You know, um, someone very dear to me uh, was restricted with their money one time. And um, the person that they were with was in fear that that they would spend all the money. Or actually more to the point that they would spend the money and the person that they were with wouldn't have the money to go to the bar. Is exactly what, what the issue was. Anyway, that person controlled the money of the other person and said, you, you know, you can only spend this and that. And if you don't, you know, I'm not going to let you spend anything. And, and the consequences were that the person who was restricted, um, really didn't take care of themselves. They didn't have the money for, you know, for the things that they needed to take care of themselves. And that's abusive. And people think that that's how God is. They think that, that God says, well, you better this and that or the other thing and I'm, or I'm not gonna, or I'm not gonna, or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that. Like that's really, really abusive. In other words, the, the relationship depends on whether you act a certain way or not. It's not dependent upon love. Okay. And, and that's where I'm going to show you that that is not God and that God is not an abuser and he doesn't fall into any of these categories of abuse. He doesn't fall into any of these categories of behaviors. Okay. So so to begin with, let's start with the people. Let me see how good I'm doing on time. Okay, um, let's start with the people 
who believe in the sovereignty of God. Now, this is a really, really, really common theme in non-Pentecostal environments. Now, um, what the, basically what the theme is, is that God is sovereign and therefore he can do anything. And because he's sovereign, everything that happens is his will. Okay. And here's, here's, here's what happened. Um, two things combined to make this mishmash of confusion. Um, the first thing is, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. Um, is is being misinterpreted by a lot of Christians. Romans 8.28 says the following. I'm going to read it to you. Um, it says that... It says that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Okay? So what the body of Christ by and large has done, um, who believe in the sovereignty of God, has, has said that everything that happens to you is God's will and it works together for good. That, that's what they said, okay? And I first came across this by a woman who had been in the prison system. Um, she was uh, an employee of the prison system, actually, and she had been raped by some inmates. And I, I was very young when I heard her story, and I was very... Um, <laughs> I had been very influenced by that Mexican Pentecostal church that I told you about last time. And uh, so I didn't really I didn't really understand a lot of what she was saying. I just knew it was wrong and I couldn't really articulate why. But she said that she was working in the prison system and some inmates uh got a hold of her and they raped her. And when I when I talked to her about this, she said to me that it was God's will that they raped her because if it wasn't, it wouldn't have happened. Are you, are you serious? Like what? Are you kidding me? That, that doesn't sound like a God I want to serve. I've been in abusive relationships and, uh, they were hell. They were absolutely freaking hell. So, um, so when I heard that I was determined from then until till the day I die to really figure this out. Now I believe because I've been through so much and because I God has accomplished so much in my life with this particular issue that I believe I can speak to this intelligently because I've been through it. Okay? So the problem with the sovereignty of God is number one, they're misunderstanding Romans 8.28. Here's the second problem. Now this, this is a very unusual thing because I was teaching a women's Bible study some years ago in New Mexico and we were talking about, we were talking about this issue of the sovereignty of God because even though it was a charismatic or um, non-denominational women's Bible study, some of the women were like, oh, well, it must be God's will, or this bad thing happened, God works things all together for good, and completely misunderstood this, and this and that. So I got to asking God, I said, all right, this is not good enough. I've got to know. I can't just know in my heart something is not right, because when I go to talk to somebody, I can't say, well, I just know. That goes about as far as a lead brick, you know? They just drop it right on the ground. They say, okay, bye, Christian. And that's it. And so they don't listen to you. So you have to have some kind of concrete evidence as to where this idea came from. And I asked God and he told me, he told me the story of a, a type of, of, excuse me, a version of the Bible that the devil used to create this idea of sovereignty. Now, I'm sorry if you use this version of the Bible, but if you use this version of the Bible, um, please use it understanding how the devil has twisted it. Okay. Please understand this. Now, 
I'm not coming against anybody's hearts. I just want you to know where the, the understanding of sovereignty came from. Okay, 1956. 1956, the, the Bible that is used most often is the King James Version, right? Because the New King James Version hadn't been published yet. So everybody who read the Bible was subject to reading these and thou's and can'tst and wouldn'tst and all this stuff that we don't speak in Elizabeth, Elizabethan English. And if you do not have the Spirit of God seriously interpreting for you, you are lost. I have heard so many people say, well, I would read the Bible, but I get com so confused. And that these and the thou's, they don't make sense, right? So that is what everybody was going through. 1956, we're just back from World War II. You know, the baby boomers are there. They're growing up, this and that. Their parents have, have, their parents have just gone through the worst war in, in world history. And they know that the God of creation is the way that they got through it, okay? And so there's this hyper-Christianity that's spreading throughout the U.S. in 1956. And so everybody wants to understand this God that delivered the whole world, okay? They want to understand Him on a real level. And when that many people turn their hearts toward God, God shows up. Now, here's how God showed up. He wanted... I personally believe that He wanted more people understanding, more people reading the Bible... Even if they weren't baptized in the Holy Ghost, he wanted the Bible accessible to millions, exactly the way he did when he had the King James translators translate it. So he, so he puts it on the hearts. I believe he did absolutely put it on the hearts of some, um, a small group of men to interpret the Bible without the these and thous. Okay, to make it a modern translation of the Bible so that modern people could understand it better. Right? Makes sense. Okay, and so they wanted to call it the New International Version because they wanted to transcend the borders of the United States and they wanted to go all over the world with this English translation of the Bible that was applicable to our lives as they were in 1956, okay? I hope you're following me. Anyway, so they're, so they're translating the Bible and then what happens? All of this tumult comes in, right? In the late 50s and early 60s, we've got racial stuff. We've got all this stuff going on, right? So um, so the, the, the translation of the New International Version of the Bible gets put on hold. Well, they, it's still on the hearts of these men to do this. And excuse me. And so they come back and they come back in um, 1968. No, 1965. They come back in 1965, and they begin translation on the New International Version. At this point, they want to show how wonderful and powerful God is, okay? They want to express in their hearts how amazing, sorry, um, this God that we serve is. And so they use the word sovereign. They use the word sovereign Lord over 252 times in the New International Version. Now, here's what happened. The people who are who get the, the Bible, the New International Version of the Bible, are excited because they can understand it, right? And this is published in 1968. Now, the climate, the political climate in the U.S. was vastly different in 1968 than it was in 1956, right? Right there, you've got all these civil wars. You've got the American Indians fighting for their stuff. You've got the African Americans fighting for their stuff. And then you've got the United States government in all this tumult because of all this stuff that's going on, right? So, So the United States government uses this term sovereign and they use it to impose their will on their people. In other words, they're saying if the, if we want to move where the American Indians have had 
this particular piece of land for so many generations. We are a sovereign nation and we will do what we want when we want if it serves us, right? That's how they use the word sovereign, right? Same thing with the Indian nations. The Indian nations that come up against the United States government in the 60s, they fight and they say we are a sovereign nation and we can make our own laws and have our own legal system and our own judgment system and our own everything um, independent of the United States government, right? And so that's where you get, um, where you get like the BIA and stuff. All of this is, is, is under tumult in the sixties, right? So then these, these translators come in and they translate the Bible and they use this word sovereign, sovereign Lord, right? And so what the devil does is he takes this word sovereign and he twists it. He twists it from its original meaning to mean that God can and will do whatever he wants to, when he wants to, if it serves him right? Okay. That's huge. That's a humongous statement. Just take a minute and think about what I just said. The devil uses the term sovereign that is most recognized and only used in the New International Version of the Bible to twist the minds of believers in Christ into thinking that God is so terrible that he can and will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, as long as it profits him. In the same way that they're used to thinking about the United States government and Indian um, and the United um, Indian affairs, do, do you understand how profound that is? How how amazingly twisted and conniving that is? That's insane. All right, so let's so let's look at the definition of the word sovereign. The definition definition of the word sovereign is this: <clears throat> one, it describes someone who possesses. Supreme political power. Two, it describes one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. Three, it is an acknowledged leader. And four, it refers to a gold coin used in England. Okay, so here's the thing with the word sovereign. Is that with with the exception of the last definition, the gold coin, God is supreme right he is supreme authority and supreme power and he is an acknowledged leader without question here's the issue is that people who who subscribe to the sovereignty of god believe that god can and will do whatever he wants whenever he wants as long as it benefits him the problem is that that's not biblically sound do you know that god can't do everything there are some things god cannot do why because he's limited himself by his own integrity he himself said he cannot lie isn't that right? God said, I cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Is that right? That's what he said. So he can't lie. Number two, he's not able, he doesn't tempt anyone with evil. Remember that? Remember? For when someone is tempted, do not let them say that they are tempted by God. For God himself cannot be tempted with evil, nor himself tempts anyone with evil. Right? So there are two things that God cannot do. He can't lie and he can't tempt anyone with evil. All right. So there are things that God cannot do, not because he can't in terms of um, ability, but he can't in terms of authority because his integrity restricts him from doing certain things. There are many more things that God does not do that he does not get involved in unless he's asked to be involved in those things. And we're going to get to all that in this series. But please understand that the sovereignty of God is, is, is probably the most damaging to Christians because they will submit to any piece of crap devil scheme that there is because they think everything is the will of God 
because of a misinterpretation of the word sovereign and because of a misinterpretation of Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is surrounded by Romans 8.26 and 27. And it's... And, and, and it isn't taken out of context when you think that all things work together for God's good, right? Or for God's glory and for your good. That is a bunch of horse crap. You know, I live in California and just, just the other day, there was a boat in the, in the ocean that caught on fire. It was a scuba boat. And we were reading the stories about some of the um, victims of this fire. And one of them was a little 17 year old girl who was there celebrating her birthday, learning how to scuba dive. You're telling me that that was God's will? Are you, are you serious? Are you serious that somehow that's going to glorify God? Are you kidding? If unbelievers are looking at that, who are who are trying to get into the, the kingdom of God, and the unbelievers are looking at that going, uh, even my insurance um, protects me more than this. Even, you know, the company that I was going out with protects me more than so-called your God. Like, are you serious? That is no way to win a world of unbelievers to a wonderful, perfect God who actually does love them. All right, so I'm going to leave you with this. I told you I was going to leave you with a little teaser. Now, one of my favorite verses to mess with people on is probably the most misquoted verse, the most misquoted verse ever, ever. Well, maybe the money one is is close, but here's, here's probably the second one, and it is Job, right? Because at every funeral and every dumb thing that happens, what, what do people say? They say, God has given, God has taken away, uh, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Okay, well, tune in next week and we'll find out exactly what that verse says, not just half of it, which has misled millions of people, all right? So if you think you know what Job meant when he said that, I want you to watch next week and find out if you really know. All right, guys, remember that I love you and Jesus loves you. We are a nonprofit. Um, hit me up if, if you need any prayer, if you need anything. Um, thank you for your continued support and watching these and um, subscribing to the YouTube channel. Um, and like I said, if anybody needs any prayer or, um, or any direction, just give me a, give me a, a heads up or call me or uh, PM me on, on Facebook. I usually only check those every couple of days. So if I'm late getting back,